Amen. Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles and open them up to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. That is a great song to sing. Um, man, those are, those are tough words that we want nothing else but him. Um, that line I wrote down, I forget that you're enough, God, and how true that is and how often that we struggle with that. But this is essentially right where we're going to be in at the story of Exodus. If you're new with us, welcome. We are thrilled that you are here. We would love to connect with you. We are journeying through the book of Exodus. It's going to take us the better part of a year to walk through. Uh, We are in Exodus chapter 4, and it's all about trusting in the Lord in spite of our excuses. Uh, This week, as I stand up here, I thought to myself, I really, the Lord is really helping me understand this sermon and these words I'm about to share because uh, I come up here with a whole litany of excuses of, oh man, this has been a tough week. It's been a short runway. Michael was supposed to be preaching this week. However, he spiked a fever. He wasn't able to be here. So there was a really, like yesterday was kind of the day to write the sermon. So I felt like I had all these excuses. And then as I jump into Exodus 4, preparing to preach, I was like, okay, Lord, yeah, you're good. You are enough. I trust you. I trust your plan over my plan and all of my uh, preferences and all of those things because essentially this is what the Lord is impressing upon Moses in a very big way. And so I'm trusting the Lord up here this morning. Uh, and also, uh, we're having baptism, which is going to be amazing after service. Yeah, baptism. And then, some, uh, and then the, wa- the heater that we always use just malfunctioned. So if anyone feels called and wants to trust the Lord in baptism, today's the day and you're really going to believe it because it's going to be cold. And the, and, the, and the young men that are going to be baptized today, they're like, I don't care if it's not warm. I love Jesus. I want the whole world to know. So we want to jump in the cold waters and declare my faith. So the Lord is in control. Um, even though all of the things we're used to uh, tend not to be, but that's okay because he always moves in a way that we uh, least expect. Well, recap real quick. Where have we been? Exodus, a recap of chapter three. Remember, God shows up in this profound way in this burning bush, although it's a not burning bush is the whole idea. The bush was on fire, but not being consumed. God begins to speak to Moses And he speaks and he reveals his name. He tells them who his name is. He says, I am who I am. I am who I am. And so Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, primarily just does a lot of listening. He's doing a lot of listening. He's not doing a lot of talking as God reveals some very important, some very uh, massive things about who he is. One, that he is a self-sufficient God, that he is a flame of fire and he doesn't even require any fuel of the bush to exist. He is self-sufficient. We also learn that he alone is holy. He calls Moses to come over to him and he tells Moses not to come like that, remember? He says, unsandal your feet, for the ground you are walking on is holy ground. So he's a holy God. He is set apart. And he wants us not to come to him casually or cavalierly, but he says, unsandal your feet, because the ground that you approach me on is holy ground, because it's where God dwells. And he also is teaching us through the burning bush and through Exodus chapter 3 that God is a God who is pleased to dwell with his people. He showed up. He entered in. And he spoke directly to Moses. So let's jump in. We're going to be in Exodus 4. I'm going to read a couple chunks of it. 
I'm going to read uh, 1 through 17. I'm going to jump down to 29 through 31. I encourage you at home this week to read all of it because it's wonderful and it could be five sermons. But here we go. Exodus 4, 1. Then Moses answered. So still the burning bush. He answers God. Moses answered. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign they may believe the latter sign. And if they do not believe even these two or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and you will pour it out on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please, Send someone else. But the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do these signs. And then we're going to look at the very conclusion here of this interaction when Moses meets up with Aaron. Uh, <clears throat> verse 29, and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped remarkable encounter with the living God. So if you remember the story arc thus far of Moses, he begins his life in, 
in, essentially in running and in hiding, there's a death warrant out against him. The Pharaoh wants to put all the children of Israel, all the Hebrew boys to be put to death. However, in this miraculous sign where we see the sovereign hand of God leading and moving and directing the story behind the scenes, Moses is, is, uh, is sent out into the Nile after he can be kept secret no longer. He's discovered by Pharaoh's very daughter, and he is raised in the halls of Egypt. Moses is raised as a royal. He's raised as a royal. He was educated. He knew all the secrets. He knew all the ins and outs of Egyptian royalty. However, he also knew he was a Hebrew. And in chapter two, we see him sort of begin to want to step into and he begins to see the affliction of the people. He begins to see how the Egyptians are putting uh, these taskmasters over his people that he came from and they're enslaving them and they're putting hard work on them and, and his anger begins to burn against the Egyptians that he was raised by. In fact, so much so in chapter two, he kills two Egyptians who are mistreating these Hebrew men. However, after this event, he thought he would be welcomed as this great savior, as this great rescuer, but the Hebrews reject him and the Egyptians reject him. You were raised by the Egyptians and now he's killed two Egyptians. You better get out of here. You're a murderer. And so he runs and he flees. So in chapter two, we see Moses. He's brash, he's angry. And he's just going to like blaze his own trail. And here we get chapter four. This is uh, 40 years later after this encounter in chapter two, which he was 40 years old, which makes him 80 years old in chapter four. We have a very different Moses. Moses knows his limitations here. Um, in chapter three, even, he says to God in this, in this interaction, <laughs> Who am I that I should free the Hebrews? In other words, I already tried that and it didn't work. Look where I am. He thinks he's inadequate for the mission that's set before him. There's no way that I can move forward in this. In, in 3.13, he says, I don't have the ability to do this. I can't do what you're asking me to do, God. In 4.1, he then says in the, in the passage we just read, he says, in fact, no one's gonna believe what I have to say. No one's going to believe me. I'm not the right man. Uh, no, one, no one will trust me. No one will trust me. And then in 4.10, he finally looks at God and he says, I'm incompetent. I, 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 I'm, I don't even have the words. I'm, I'm not eloquent. I don't have the speech. I cannot do this. And so this Moses is not... Uh, angry, brash, I'm gonna go save my people from these Egyptians. He's a man in his 80s. His ambition is seemingly gone. He's broken. He is marred in shame over his past actions. He's run from God. He's run from the very people that he was, that he was born into and that he was born of. And he's wandering around in the desert. He's a shepherd, and he's content just to be there. I just want to be a shepherd, and I don't want to talk to anyone. Essentially, he's looking at God and saying, just leave me alone. Please. I'm not the man for the task. 
And this is where we find Moses. And God, despite Moses' continued protest to the very voice of God, is gentle and is patient. And he begins in these moments to mold and to shape Moses so that Moses can begin to walk in faith and obedience to this God. Because God knows this is exactly the one that I want. This is exactly the man for the task at hand. Yes, he's broken. Yes, he's run away. Yes, he can't do it on his own, but I can. That's what he's trying to teach Moses. And so what the Lord does here, and he does all throughout scripture, is he gives his word he gives his word before he reveals his power. He gives his word before he reveals his power. And what we're gonna see uh, in the life of Moses, as Moses uh, takes these baby steps to begin to trust God, and he begins to trust and obey God, it's when he trusts and obey God that God then displays his power to Moses and the people around him. It's not the power of God and then, oh, you better believe, you better be scared of me. No, it's listen to my voice, Listen to what I'm saying to you and follow the revealed word of God. And then when you follow in obedience and faith and trust, then the power of God begins to bring to bear in the life of Moses and those around him. For example, you just saw it in the verses we read. Throw your staff on the ground, God says to Moses. And he's like, and he does it. Then, then this turns into a snake. Reach down and grab the snake by the tail, which... If you've ever been around snakes, you're not supposed to grab a snake by the tail. Why? Because if you grab a snake by the tail, especially a deadly one, it has a lot of room to come around and bite you. And he's like, okay, right? You don't, you don't do that. You grab it like uh, by the head or closer. I have a story. I don't have time to get into the story. I had a snake moment just a few weeks ago. It just popped in my head, but I got too much to go through here. Really frightening. And it involved a Christmas tree and a snake. Very ominous. Anyway, it'll be a great story one day once I figure out what the Lord's teaching me in that one. But he says, grab the snake by the tail. And he's like, okay. And he does it. And the power of God back into his staff. Take some water out of the Nile. And it's not like I'm going to, it's not like right when you do it, it's going to, you have to like pour it out. And then when it finally hits the ground, when you trust me, then it will turn into blood. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Obedience and faith and trust in God. And then you see the power of God uh, be manifest. Um, and so here we have Moses in faith beginning to trust the words of God. Uh, God is lovingly overcoming his stubbornness and lovingly overcoming his doubts. And in Moses and in faith reaches out, grabs the tail, right? Does these things. And we see the power of God be manifest through him walking and trusting and obedience and faith that God will do what he says. And so we're gonna see this scene play out over and over again in the story of Exodus, and I think the same is true in our own lives. There are times when God tells us to walk in faith and obedience, and there are so many times where we, like Moses, say, not that. That seems so scary. I don't want to do that. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong woman. You got the wrong person. That's not for me. Um, 
And here's what God is doing. He's showing us that he is in control, that he can be trusted, and that he can be obeyed even when he asks us and even when he asks Moses to do frightening things. And we don't like that. I don't like that. We don't like to not be in control. We don't like to be asked to do things that make us step outside of ourselves and put our trust and hope in God, knowing I can't figure this out on my own. I can't walk in it alone. I don't have the resources. I'm inadequate to do it. All the things that Moses said, we hate that Moses didn't like it. Moses was arguing even with God as God was speaking to him. We just bristle against this because it shows that we're not in control. We hate being not in control. And so what happens when the Lord asks Moses to take this step? He does the same with us. Yes, it may be risky. Yes, it may be even dangerous. It may not make sense in the world's eyes. But if it's been revealed by the very word of God, we can walk in faith knowing that it's good. Don't worry, they're filling up the baptismal. It's a weird sound. I was wondering what that was. You probably, none of you heard, were wondering, but I was, so I just want to address it now. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, what does that sound? Is there like a leak somewhere? Just water. You know, it's going to be fine. It's going to be real cold water later. (laughs) Trust the Lord. Walk in obedience, right? (laughs) Beautiful. Um, So we don't like to not be in control. Um, And here's what you and I, and here's what Moses does when we're confronted with the very word of God. We do this all the time. I do this all the time. When we're confronted with obeying what God calls us to walk in and live in, we justify our disobedience or we delay our obedience, which Moses is going to be guilty of here and later in the book. And delayed disobedience is a, a delayed obedience is just another form of disobedience. Yes, I'll follow you, but not right now. Yes, God, you are God, and I want to live for you, but I've got to take care of these things first. Jesus addresses this also in the New Testament. This is exactly what Moses does. He begins to justify his disobedience in walking in faith to God himself. Look at verse 1. Then Moses answered God, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Moses knew. He's like, I am not to be trusted. He said, the Hebrews weren't quite sure about this guy because he grew up in the halls of Egypt. They're like, this guy is basically like Pharaoh's right-hand man. I don't trust this guy. And the Hebrews didn't quite trust him, right? Or the Hebrews didn't. And then the Egyptians didn't trust him because you just killed two of our guys earlier and you're on the run for your life. Who is this guy? He was a man without a home. So he's like, no one is going to believe me, God, that God showed up. No one is going to believe me. In other words, I'm inadequate for this task. I do not have the ability. You've got the wrong person. No one's going to believe what I have to say. And what Moses is guilty of here is what every one of us is guilty of every now and again at some point in your life or you will be at some point in your life. He is using his past. He's looking back on his life as an 80-year-old man with God speaking to him, calling him to this new mission. And he's saying, my past, God, 
prevents me from obeying you in this current reality and situation right now. He's using his past to not be obedient to the call of God on his life in the present. God, I would do that, but I mean, you don't know what, I, what I've done. God, I, I would love to follow you in that. I would love to walk in that. I would, but do you, you remember what I was like a long time ago? You remember what I did those many years ago? He's making excuses. He's saying, my past prevents me from obeying you, God, here in the present. We do this all the time. You know, I've, I've really blown it. Um, many of us in this room have responded this way. Maybe you're responding that way even right now in your life. There's some area in your life where you have failed maybe and you've blown it. You've messed up as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, as a whatever the list may be. It could go on and on again. And maybe you've, you've blown it so many times or you think the level at which you've blown it is so catastrophic you think, I quit, I give up, I'm done. I'm not even gonna try anymore. I'm done trying. And I love that in the face of Moses' um, excuses to God, Moses saying, I'm not the guy. No one will believe me. This isn't going to work, God. Go find someone else. The Lord never speaks to his self-pity and his self-loathing. He like, doesn't even address it. We live in a culture right now, this is soapbox, this is just my opinion, this is not what the Bible's saying. God doesn't address it, but we live in a culture that's like, well, you need a me day, you need more self-care, you need to self-reflect, you need to just talk about yourself, you need to think about yourself, you need to maybe take a picture of yourself and put it on Instagram so that you'll feel validated in yourself, and self, 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 self. We live in a culture obsessed with ourselves. God doesn't even address his criticism here of himself. He just gives Moses exactly what he needs. You need a picture of who I am. You need to see more clearly who I am. You don't need a mirror to look back at yourself. You need to, to shatter that mirror so you can see beyond yourself and your failings and your uh, inadequacies, which he is full of, and realize I am enough for the job because I'm telling you this is what I'm gonna do. And he gives him these three signs that shift Moses' gaze, although he's still very stubborn, toward God. And he gives him three signs, the snake, the leprosy, and the Nile and the blood. Now, quickly, what are these signs? We read these today, we're like, whoa, that's kind of weird, right? You're like, snakes and snake handling or is something weird about to happen here? No, we're not gonna pass out snakes. But what, what, like, what's happening here? Like blood, leprosy, it just seems all very Old Testament, right? So what is, what is the point of all these? What's happening here? Well, it, they're not just cool tricks to make us go, whoa, God is so neat and cool and he can do all these crazy things. Um, they're not just to like surprise us. When God does signs, when God does wonders, even on in the New Testament, when, God, uh, when Jesus performs miracles, they're signposts of what he's like. They're signposts to the ultimate reality of who God is and what he's like. He's communicating something about himself, not just performing a cool trick. 
So what is God doing here? What is God showing to Moses and what is God showing to the world around him through these, albeit strange, signs? They are very profound when you dig into them. He wants to teach Moses something about himself. He wants to teach Egypt something about himself because they're going to witness these. And he wants to teach God's people, the Israel, something about himself. So verse 2, the Lord said to him, Wow, I got a lot to get through. All right, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand, catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now, what's significant about this? Biblical scholars Uh, say this about this idea of this snake. On Pharaoh's crown, right, where, where Moses would have grown up, on his crown, the Pharaoh, the king, the ruler, the sovereign over all of Egypt was a golden cobra. It was one of their symbols. And on this golden cobra, his mouth was open and the cobra fan, right, on his neck. I'm not sure what you really call that, if that's really, you know, cobras go, that, that thing. A lot of you looked at me like, what, a fan? Not a, like, you know, what I'm talking about. The, his face was, was looking at his enemies and about to strike his enemies with the venomous strike of a cobra. And this was on Pharaoh's crown, and it represents his power, represents his strength, and it represents his sovereign rule. And the Hebrews, who had been enslaved by these people, would have known exactly what this snake was all about, that the one who wore this crown was almost, they would have been told, a living God who had control, had dominion, had power, had strength, and you better listen to him or the might of that crown and the enemy's snake bite would come against you and he would crush you if you were against him. Moses, 40 years earlier, ran from that power. The Hebrew people had been subjected by that power for many, 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 many years as slaves. You will do what I command. And God here is communicating something very, very profound to Moses. Moses, grab that snake by the tail. God is communicating that there is no power in the world that can thwart my plan. You trust me. It may seem crazy, It may seem otherworldly. It may seem downright dangerous. Moses, grab it by the tail. Trust me. Moses is learning to trust and have faith in this one that says, I am who I am. Moses is learning in spite of his excuses that the patience and caring nature of God is wanting to show him exactly who he is in spite of his failings, in spite of his past. There's no power greater than me, Moses. Verse six, and again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back in your cloak. So he put his hand back inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Leprosy, was the scourge of humankind in the ancient world. There was no cure. There were no answers. It was highly, highly contagious. 
If you touch someone, you would contract it. Um, it was, I mean, you think, if you get COVID, you think like back in the early days when a seven-day isolation was bad. Try, can, try getting leprosy. Once you touch it, there's no cure, and it progressively gets worse and attacks your nervous system, and they isolate you and separate you for life. It was a living death sentence until the disease finally just took you and you died alone, except for the very few people who felt called to care for these poor souls. They cast them out. Leprosy was a living death sentence. Can you imagine Moses pulls out his hand and his hand is covered in leprosy? The ancient world had tried and tried and tried to find cures for this, to figure out ways around this. To, to The greatest Egyptian minds had been put on this. They were trying to just, it was ravaging their people. It was ravaging communities and families. It was this plague, and they were trying to figure out a way to find something around this. And God said, what the brightest minds in the world are trying to do, I can do in a second. Put your hand back in your cloak and take it out. And he's restored. I'm a God who can restore all things. Even in the darkest pit of despair that is a living death sentence, I am God and I am in control. Trust me, Moses. Lastly, the Nile, verse nine. If they will not believe even these two signs, nor listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, the Nile was the source of life and power for all of Egypt. It was like, you know, the the Texas flag, we've got the come and take it, or you know, whatever it is, like whatever like we're known for, or uh, everything's bigger in Texas, or whatever. Like it's, if you talk about Egypt, it's like the Nile. It's synonymous with their power, their influence, their wealth, their prosperity was all a direct um, result of this amazing river that passed through their region. Uh, why is that? So the Nile brought uh, just... Pounds and pounds and pounds of fertile black soil into the middle of a desert wasteland. And so as a result of all of this soil that would come every year, you would have crops that could be grown, which resulted in trade, which resulted in wealth. You had waterfowl that would come in. You'd have animals that would come in. It was this living oasis in the middle of a desert, and it gave to them tremendous power, tremendous prestige, tremendous wealth. The Nile was synonymous with the power of Egypt. God says to Moses, they don't believe all those other signs. Take a cup of what they would deem as the lifeblood of Egypt. What is their very life source and wealth and power and pour it out and show that, that God, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham can take that and turn it into God is showing Moses who he is, that he is powerful, and that he, he's depositing this faith inside this um, 
anxious, self-doubting man. And he's saying, believe in me, not in yourself. I'm going to move in spite of even you. Um, It's the word of God coming to Moses. Drop your staff, reach your hand, take a cup from the Nile. Quick application point for us here, church. Um, This is the word of God that has come to us. He gives it to us. It's the revealed words of God. And God has a way that we are to walk and God has a way that we are to move and walk in obedience to what he has called us to, that we walk in faithful obedience, trusting him, not in our own strength. God, you need to help me along the way. Psalm 1611 says, God, you make known to me the path of life. God has made known to us the path that is life. And in you, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy. We run after so many other things that we think will produce in our hearts and in our lives joy. Or maybe just an avoidance of pain for some of us. Proverbs 14.12 on the flip side says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its, end, the, but, but its end is the way of death. What we think will give us life, what we think will give us all that we want and have ever desired is actually the wrong way. It's death. And so many of us get tripped up and we run after it headlong thinking if we can only achieve this or get this or have that, and it doesn't ever pay out what it promises. God alone says, I have made known to you the path of life. And in my presence, I will fill you with the fullness of joy. That is a remarkable statement. The fullness of joy? This is what God is doing to Moses and church, I think this is what God wants us to wrestle with. Um, That God has made known the way and that we would follow him, that we would trust him by faith that he gives to us and that in that faith we could walk in obedience to him. And it's sometimes it seems crazy and it's sometimes seems hard. Sometimes it might even seem like the wrong way. But if it's given to us in his word, we say, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. Um, God's word is our path. So here we saw that God showed up and he shows Moses that he can transform, that he can renew, that he can conquer. Yet, like you and I, the stubbornness of our hearts shows no bound. Exodus 4.10. But Moses said to the Lord. Now, this word right here uh, is Adonai. It's not the the name that God gave himself. It's not the I am who I am translation, but it's the Adonai. It means master. It means sovereign one. It means you are in control. It means you are Lord over everything. And this uh, this is an amazing irony. But Moses says to the Lord, O my Lord, O my sovereign master who is ruler and over and in charge of all things, I am not eloquent, 
either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I can't do this. I don't have the right words. I can't even, I fumble over my words. I'm not even an eloquent speaker. I've never been and I'm not one now. O sovereign master who is in control of all things and is all powerful. And the Lord answers him in verse 11, who made the man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And then again, O my sovereign master Lord who is in control of all things and knows all things, please send someone else. Oh, how many times have I prayed that one? I don't know about you. Oh, sovereign Lord, you can do anything you want. Please send someone else. Moses lets his inadequacies, his self-doubt, his um, fears say, yes, I know you're in charge of all things, but let me just tell you what to do. Do you ever do that to God? When he tells you what we're to do in his word? Yeah, God, yes, Lord, you are Lord, I love you, you are master, I come to church, I sing, I love to, I, I, I do all the things. But then when the Lord asks us to move and step in obedience, please ask someone else. I don't have time. It's not my thing. It's not my gift. If you really knew who I was, you wouldn't ask me to do this. What the Lord is doing here in his response to Moses is he's trying to begin to line up Moses' words with his actual life and heart. There's a fracture there. And if we all can't relate to that, I don't know what we can relate to. Is there a fracture in your life between the words we take on our mouth, the songs we sing to him? God, you are all that I need. And the lives that we lead and what he asks us to walk in, yes, my life too. But God in his grace and his mercy keeps rewiring our hearts so that we can begin to walk in obedience rooted in the faith in what he is doing. He wants us to begin to submit our lives to his word. And he wants to push that gap and shrink that gap on what we say to God and what we do. And here's what God's showing. Last thing, and I'll be done. I think in all of this, I think in some way, the fact that he doesn't address any of Moses' excuses, he just doesn't even, he's like, I made your mouth. I'm, I, I, I made you. I think what he's showing Moses and you and I here is, you're right. You're not able to do this. Um, but I need you to trust me because I am. I need you to walk in my way and in my power, not in your own. You don't have it. You can't figure it out. 
I need you to walk in the way that I'm calling you. I need faith and trust. I need you to walk and step in faith, believing that this God and his word is trustworthy and it is ultimately good. Church, where is God calling you to trust in his word? Where is he calling you to walk in obedience to it? Today, this week, this year, it might be scary, it might be hard, but if he's calling you and it's in his word, it's his decree, it is good, it is for his glory. And God is patient and God is graceful and look at the end of this, look at the result of finally God breaking through in Moses' heart and he begins to trust in what he says and God is writing the story at 29 through 31. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. They're doing what God asked them to do. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. When God speaks and then God's people move in obedience and trust in what he has said, the result here is that the people see the work of God, not the work of people, and they bow their heads and they don't worship Moses, they worship God. That's what we need to be about, church. That we would walk in a way that Jesus is calling us to, to walk in faith and obedience to all that he's commanded to us. And our prayer would be, Lord, would you make the result be the worship and honoring of your good name for your glory. Let's pray this morning, church. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, God, it is so good. We thank you that even in the face of our objections, that even in the face of our self-doubt and even self-loathing, God, and even in the face of our running, that you are a God that can find us even in the middle of a Midianite desert, that you can speak to us clearly and that you can overcome our stubborn hearts and you can deposit within us faith and that we can walk in it and that we can trust you and then as a result, we can see the mighty hand of God work and move in our midst. And Lord, may, may we be a people um, that you are doing that with. May you help us see more of you. May you help us trust you to take steps of obedience that you were calling us into, even when they seem hard or frightening or unknown. May we say, Lord, you have made known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Not my way, but your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship this morning, church.